0: This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider.
1: Are y'all coming to ASHA in November? Well, then don't forget to stop by the SpeechTherapyPD.com booth number 669, and it's Asha in Boston, November 15th through 17th. I'd love to say hi in person and hear back from y'all about what topics you think we should cover here on First Bite. While you're there, swing by PESI Inc. booth number 1138 to catch the latest on where my six hour live action Asha and AOTA approved CE course, Pediatric Dysphagia Establishing the Brain Mouth Gut Connection, is heading across the continental United States. Thanks for listening and see y'all soon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things PEDS SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that i have had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission is to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, Do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech generating device, or how to find the right fit for a speech generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals, Or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website. Drop a review. Subscribe to obtain those coveted Ashes CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the all things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional and fed category, with emphasis on demystifying VPI or velopharyngeal insufficiency. We're going to tackle both the speech production side. Remember, it's more than just nasal emissions and that elusive swallowing aspect, too. I'm humbly excited to have Back to First Bite, one of my favorite feeding therapists. And y'all, I'm air quoting here because remember... It's it's more than just playing with your food. Melissa's actually a peds dysphagia expert, Miss <laughs> um, Melissa Montiel, MS CCC SLP, and she practices at MUSC and with the Evelyn Tremell Institute for Voice and Swallowing. Melissa joined us for episode fourteen, Banis- banishing confusion for clefts, and was gracious enough to come back and let me pick her brain further about VPI. I first saw Melissa lecture a few years ago at Skisha, that's our state association here in South Carolina, and her passion was palpable. She loves treating kiddos with all types of clefts, submucus included, and not only does she do it at the clinic where she works, but also with the least of these across the world when she goes on trips with the Global Smile Foundation. On that note, Melissa, tell us about you and then start in on the magic that you do.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle, and thank you so much for having me back today. Um, like you said, I work at the Medical University of South Carolina and I've been practicing at MUSC since January of 2008, and I've been um, a clinician since May of 2007. And I just absolutely feel so fortunate because I love, love, love what I do, both locally and internationally with my cleft palate missions. Um, yeah, so I guess um the first kind of topic um we wanted to kind of talk about is just what is v p i and how does it affect speech production
1: yes i that was i seriously think like one night lecture in my clef class and and you talked about in the other episode how you you know you and i we've we've been out for about ten or fifteen years, and I'm making myself grayer by saying that, but um. I actually had a semester long class dedicated to craniofacial abnormalities and cleft and one whole night on VPI, which wasn't much, but it was better than nothing. And now I often feel like the craniofacial cleft gets mixed in with other classes. So people don't get the dedicated attention to it, Um, or at least that's just my humble opinion for what it's worth. So A lot of people haven't heard of VPI and don't even know what it stands for. So start at the base and build up, baby. All right. So VPI,
0: velopharyngeal Insufficiency. Essentially, it's just the inability to close off your mouth to your nose um, for the purposes of speech and swallowing. So when I'm sitting here talking to you. We're having a conversation for every single sound we say um, with the exception of M like mom and N like November and then that NG. We close our palate goes um, up and it touches our posterior pharyngeal wall. Our lateral pharyngeal walls come in and um, there should be no escape of any energy into the nose. Um, and when a child has BPI, they are unable to achieve that. And so we ask, how does that affect speech production? And really, Michelle, there are a lot of ways in which it affects speech production. But what I really like what you said is that it's more than just nasal air emissions. So, um, when we think of speech in terms of You know, are there anatomical um, deficits or did this child just learn how to say sounds through their nose for some reason? What we think of with VPI is that there is an anatomical deficit that precludes them from being able to make certain speech sounds. So there are a lot of things that you might see in a child's speech that would kind of tip you off. Say, hey, I think this child has VPI um and you know we most commonly see vpi with cleft lip and palate or cleft palate not cleft lip cleft palate kiddos but there are an array of uh, syndromes out there the most common being DeGeorge, aka 22q11 deletion aka velocardiofacial syndrome um that i
1: know i don't mean to laugh um, I, I don't mean to laugh, but like I can't hear that. I literally went and did an eval one time and the mom tells me, This one here's got the DeGeorges and that one there's got the velocardiofacial syndrome, but that one's fine. You need to fix this one. And I was like, like <laughs> I just I smiled and nodded yeah. and went about my thing. So yeah, was, literally all three yeah. are the same. But- continue sorry they are they are
0: the same there's (laughs) lots of names for the same thing for some reason um and you bring up a good point because one thing we now know about de george um or 22q11 is that it is a huge variation in what we see so you know that syndrome particularly is named for three uh features so velo being the velum cardio being the heart facial being just some distinct facial features but um we are seeing some kids that, you know, have it expressed in a very severe manner and then some kiddos that you can't really tell at all. So um, you bring up a good and that there's a some kids are more expressed than others with that. So what you're looking for, if you've got a kiddo in your office, um, what you're going to really hear if you have a child that has an anatomical inability to um, close off their nasopharynx, what you're going to look for is, essentially, if, you know, when we speak, we have to build that pressure. So when we close off to our nose, that is pressure. And so you might hear some nasal air emissions and, and we hear nasal air emissions on consonant sounds. So consonant sounds are for pressure. And then we hear hypernasality or too much sound in the nose on vowels because that is, vowels are energy and nasality we refer to um, in the sense of energy. You don't have pressure on vowels. So, um, and, you know, one thing we see a lot in our clinic is we get kiddos in there because people are worried that their tonsils and adenoids are too big and they are worried that they have VPI. Well, if somebody's tonsils and adenoids are too big, they're gonna kinda sound like I sound now with a cold, um, hyponasal. <laughs> <I don't need laughs> so it's the opposite problem. <laughs> so, uh, if you can't get enough sound in your nose and you can't breathe through your nose, you have hyponasality, and that is the opposite problem of VPI. So what you're gonna look for essentially is do I hear some nasal air emissions? Does it sound like there's um, sound escaping through the nose? Um, a big um, uh, telltale sign is a lot of the sounds sound like M like mom and N like November because we don't have to create pressure for those sounds. So the child might be trying to produce a B or a P sound and they are able to do it by, with you know their lips bilabally, but they are unable to create that pressure. So it comes out sounding like a nasal. And Ideally, that's how these kiddos would sound. So we'd like for them to develop speech um, in that manner because they're making it with the right placement. So an alveolar sound, daddy might sound like nanny or boo might sound like moo. Well, their placement's correct, but just their manner is what um, we have to kind of step in and take a look at. Um, I think where it gets really, really tricky with these kiddos is when you have somebody that has compensatory strategies or things that they do in order to try and talk, but they're unable to build up that pressure for speech. And so they do things like glottal stopping. So this is a very distinct cleft um, or VPI telltale sign. And what you do when you glottal stop. So if you have the word puppy, it might sound like ee or baby might sound like a e and The child's body knows, hey, I've got to make these correct sounds, but I just can't get the pressure to do it. Um, And so that's kind of what you're looking for: is there sound in the nose? Um, Are they glottal stopping? Do they have a lot of m and n sounds? And what I like to tell people, so because you know that would be an anatomical deficit, and if they have what we call phoneme-specific nasal emissions, meaning just certain sounds are coming through their nose, but it's really quite deceiving. As I say, okay, like we talked about in our last uh, podcast, let's be a problem solver. So let's get sentences that use, you know, just bilabials, just alveolars, just velars, and then sibilant sounds. And so if a child can say, baby, 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 perfect. Teddy, 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 perfect. Cookie, 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 perfect. But then you get to Susie and everything comes through the nose, Well, our palate doesn't work sometimes, so most likely you're dealing with a child that has an articulatory problem, and for whatever reason, just like the millions of kids that say white for light or wed for red, they have learned to produce
1: sounds in their nose. (laughs) You just described my three-year-old, but continue talking, friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and most
0: other three, four, and five-year-olds in the world. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what you're looking for is as a clinician. um, And, and, you know, when you have a child with a cleft lip and palate, it's uh, a little bit more straightforward. It's when you get kiddos in there um, that may even have an idiopathic, meaning we don't know why they have VPI. Um, uh, When you get a kiddo in there and what am I hearing? And so it can be kind of overwhelming. But like we, we talked about in the last episode, let's be problem solvers and figure out do we think that this is, um, an anatomical deficit or is it, um, just something that they've learned to do?
1: All right. So I'm thinking about the kiddo that I just, I I sent you just recently and folks, if, um, in the last episode we do talk about like, I seriously send patients to her. Um, I have a little girl in my caseload that has, um, esophageal atresia. She was replumbed. Um, uh, we've GJ now G and is like 10 daily ounces away from having all water by mouth. And then she's getting her tube pulled. Right. Um, and, um, cute little baby, super rare genetic condition to boot, but everything is a E for baby. Um, when she wants to go, um, to school, it's Ool, um, and I sent you down I sent her down to you because I was like, it's gotta be VPI because VPI was synonymous with um her diagnosis because of like the other things. And it um it was but it was not VPI. Yes. I um, don't remember when, this when, kid when, very well, but Oh my gosh. I um if you if you saw her, you would. She has always wears her. um she's yeah, she um she wears giant bows. I just described half of the South. <laughs> I know. Um, and <laughs> I'm sorry if you have a daughter that wears a giant bow. Please know my Virginia root make that comedic to me. But um we we um we messaged back and forth because it was not VPI, but you we she also has um, flaccid CP, and so our gut was that it could be flaccid dysarthria in addition in addition to, Um, but it, it made me think. All right, so I saw the sign and symptom. I was wrong; it wasn't what we thought it was, but it is something different. But how is VPI that prevalent for speech production sounds like for these artic or what originally we would think of as artic and phonology kiddos? Yeah, so
0: Um, that's a great question. And dysarthria and CP absolutely uh, presents like VPI, and sometimes these kiddos do have VPI because they have you know lower tone hypotonia or they have, you know, trouble coordinating, uh, you know, with apraxia and, you know, a true apraxia, I, I rarely diagnose apraxia, but when you do see a true apraxia, you know, your palate is a, is an articulator, just like your tongue. So if you have trouble coordinating your speech mechanism for speech sounds, your palate's included in that. And so every once in a while, a lot of times I'll see some of these truly apraxic kids and they have some nasal air emissions. So like we talked about in the last uh, podcast is looking at the child as a whole. So sometimes maybe with this really high pressure consonant, especially with a CP kid, um, you know, are they just doing the best they can and they're pushing and the sound just ends up coming out their nose because it's path of least resistance. So it's just something, um, you know, and that we, we touched on this in the last podcast is you know, Michelle was like, well, I think this is what I'm hearing and I'm not sure. So I'm going to send to a team that does this specific evaluation. Right. And so, um, yeah. And so we, you know, can evaluate that. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, they might have some VPI, but let's keep doing some speech for a little bit to see if they're able to make sense.
1: All right. So now I have, I have heard people I, well, and I have seen, I've got, um, a couple of kiddos in the past that definitely had velopharyngeal insufficiency. We knew about it from the get go because of either, um, CBA issues or little one's high down syndrome. And then with that, they've, you know, we've got the nasal emissions during speech and excuse me. Yes, absolutely. It is. Now I just picked up a kiddo, um, actually eviled a kiddo, um, on Monday, Um and I tend to run a wait list. So in the meantime I have while the kiddos are on my wait list, I request that they go for certain assessments because I am only as good as the information that's given to me. So we have a phone call. We do case study over the phone call. And then while we're waiting on my wait list and the spot to open families go out and do, you know, X, Y, and Z assessments. So they came down to your neck of the woods, um, did a swallow study with your friend and, um, her current intern, which is actually one of my former students, which yay. So proud of her. Um, and, um, they had a baby did the modified. Uh, Well, not a baby, but you know, he's like four. We did the modified and an hour and a half after the modified, he had nasal regurgitation of the barium and he's, uh, huh it's a lot. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. When mom called me, I was like, that's, that's not normal. And then come to find out the child had had so many rounds of antibiotics for sinus infections that they were worried about developing um, a penicillin allergy. And he has had constant nasal regurgitation um, uh, down the baseline etiologies are down syndrome. We have um, uh, severe GERD. I mean, the um, omeprazole doses through the roof um, and, uh, uh, celiac disease, um, milk allergen, not EOE. I know you see, you see where I'm going with this and, um, overt signs and symptoms of VPI to which, um, has not had the diagnosis yet, but I plan on sending him down there. And we also will only accept pureed foods, but at least twice a week, he has nasal regurgitation and he did it while I was doing my eval. He had had a G, he has a G tube, had a bolus feed. And then like, honest to goodness, an hour and a half because he had the G-tube feed before I got there. I mean, it just came, he was talking and then all of a sudden it just came right up and out through his nose. So how can VPI lead into a swallowing deficit? Right,
0: absolutely. My just my two thoughts of that kiddo, Michelle, would be that one, either he's having some nasal regurgitation that on the swallow that's maybe staying in his nose I would wonder, I'd want to know two different things. Is it staying in his nose or is he having some sort of like, is he almost having reflux up to the point of his nasopharynx? So he swallows everything down fine. It hits his stomach. An hour later, he starts to reflux it and it comes all the way back up, path of least resistance out which, of the nose.
1: Which, and that makes me think one other thing. I mean, this, I, his stomach is so distended. My first thought is, I think, because of the hypotonia oh and he has hypothyroidism too i i my honestly i think he's got delayed gastric emptying and delayed yeah. GI motility yeah. and it's sitting in there and then we're having a significant GERD event and it's just squirting back up and out and i think we're aspirating on the GERD contents occasionally i mean definitely especially after what i saw but um yeah, sorry, continue the two things. Yeah, no no right problem. So
0: you bring up a really good point about BPI. So lots of times uh people will think oh well nothing ever comes out of their nose, you know. Um but you know I would say the majority of kiddos that we see that we know that they have a diagnosed VPI. So, you know, they have nasal air emissions, they're hypernasal, they have weak pressure consonants. Um, Sometimes they don't have any nasal regurgitation. Sometimes we do swallow studies and I can see that their palate maybe isn't elevating quite like it should, but they don't have any regurgitation of that barium. Um, I think the big thing to keep in mind with these, um, these kiddos is that you know a lot of times so we'll see maybe a submucous cleft kid at like two or we'll see a De George kiddo at, um, or we'll see a De George kiddo at maybe you know three and the the parents will say you know. They just couldn't breastfeed like they just they would work and work and they lost weight or, you know, we had to have a really fast flow for the um, the bottle or, you know, I had to hand express or, you know, they just have had trouble with their bottle feeds. Um, Again, this doesn't have to be a prerequisite, but this is something to keep in mind. So it may be that um, when a child say that we have a George child um, and, you know, they have trouble. Ex, they might have trouble expressing from breast or expressing from the bottle. Not always. I, I can think of—I mean, I can think of six right now that breastfeed beautifully. But sometimes, and I see this a lot with like a submucous cleft palate um, and a submucous cleft palate. Michelle, it just for those of you listening that may not know, is uh, when you look in the mouth, um, all of the skin closed up, but the muscles. Um, did not orient the way that they should. And so sometimes you see like a little split in the uvula um, or you'll see um, like a little bluish area or they'll have like a a little notch in their hard palate. But a lot of those kiddos, the parents say it was just awful trying to um, breastfeed. And so those are some of the things that you might see in in infancy. And then as these, you know, kiddos grow and they get um, bigger, Sometimes you may see regurgitation in the nose, and sometimes not. But uh, it's something to keep in mind that they that might be uh, occurring for them. But I, I think the biggest thing is that when you have a child with VPI, again, like we talked about in our last um, our last podcast, is we have to get to the bottom of of why. So if they have VPI because they have George. Well, they might have some nasal regurgitation. They might have some trouble with their upper esophageal sphincter. They might have decreased um, hyolaryngeal excursion causing that upper esophageal sphincter to not function properly. Um, you know, they might have a heart condition that's causing them to fatigue. Um, is this a CP kid? And we know that their palate, you know, we say in the swallow study, isn't functioning like it should. Um, and they're getting intermittent barium in the nose. But, you know, I think the thing to think about with VPI is the comorbidities that go along with VPI. So a straightforward cleft palate kiddo might just have some nasal air emissions, hypernasality, but does not have any, um, nasal regurgitation, because, you know, we know neurologically our loops for swallowing and our um, speech are different. That's why we don't do oral motor exercises and anticipate that they will translate to speech production. We know very, yeah, we know, I mean, there's, you know, there's not a lot of absolutes, I feel like, in our field, but the research on this is so overwhelming. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's one of the most studied things in our field, and we know that smiling is not going to get a child to say E because it is not the same neurological loop. And it is not the same um, just in general from what you're doing.
1: Okay. All right. So on that note, I have picked up kiddos that had VPI and they were working on blowing things um, like a blowing protocol, like a cotton ball on a table and being told to blow the cotton ball across the table. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And I actually had one mom fuss at me it was through an interpreter, which was very, <laughs> it, it was very interesting because the interpreter was actually <laughs> interpreting in, in the same angry tone. And then I was like, but it's not evidence-based practice. So right, am I correct right. in thinking that blowing a cotton ball across the table to address VPI is not evidence-based practice? You are absolutely correct, Michelle.
0: And I'm glad that we're bringing this up. Thank so, you. Yes, I actually spoke with a speech pathologist the other day and she was like, oh, I saw your talk on speech therapy PD about VPI. And I was like, oh, great. You know, interesting. seeing one of my kiddos and she's like, well, I was going to have do some strengthening ex- exercises. And I said, well, Why? And, you know, again, it was kind of like, oh, wasn't that what you're supposed to do? And, and no. And I, I really believe that the reason, you know, and I think the re- I really do believe the reason why oral motor exercises gain such momentum is because it's something to do. Nobody likes to wait. <laughs> Nobody likes to wait, you know. And so I think to say, OK, we'll blow this cotton ball across the table that's doing something.
1: And, you know, yeah. Yes. It's the appearance of without the actual uh, exactly, effect of and you know again,
0: you know swallowing exercises again. We're talking about different neurological processes, so you know things that we do for swallowing would be different than speech production. So um, I don't, I, I see that all the time with kids like trying to to blow things, you know. Now, if you know a child that has VPI will have trouble blowing out their birthday candles or sucking through a straw, um, because again that you know, takes pressure. So sucking through a straw um, is going to take that pressure. And so now, and maybe that mom says, I really want to blow out his birthday candles. And we know now that he, you know, done the surgery, he's repaired and he he can do this, but he's never been able to do it before. So, okay. Practice that for the purposes of blowing bubbles, blowing out birthday candles, but we're not going to expect that to translate to speech.
1: This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, speechtherapypd.com is hosting a CEU cruise. That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview uh, or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course the speech link, which is also eligible for continuing education through SpeechTherapyPD.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. Okay. All right. We, I want to ask the question, how do we fix the VPI? But before that, we have to ask the question, how, yes. do, you, how do you go through the process of avowing? doing the evaluation for vpi because you know i i imagine you know because the parents ask me like because i've sent them to you and they're like so what do you do and i'm like she does a thing where she puts this thing in front of their nose and then and then they like blow in it and then she puts a scope in there and she's looking to see how it's elevated (laughs) or i had another mom tell me well can't they just run the scope in when the child's sedated and i'm like no they got to see movement and when they're awake, and then my next thought is, I hope to God, those are the right answers. <laughs> so, like, They are the exact right
0: answers. And I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> okay. Because so we get um, physicians more that say, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, like we we'll get physicians or... <laughs> that say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they'll be like, we, um, well, we scoped them when we put the tubes in and everything looks fine. And I was like, oh, while they were under anesthesia, you watched them speak. And so yes. <laughs> um, you can tell under anesthesia and look at the palate. Hey, do they have a submucous cleft palate? Do they have a, um, you know, bifid uva? Do they have a notch? You can do a little bit of examination like that. You absolutely cannot tell how that palate is functioning. And so. Perfect. Yeah. So how we can, kind of, what we evaluate. And, you know, one of the things, and I stressed this in our last podcast is, we have to get these kiddos to the right professional. We have to, have to, have to. And so I see this all the time. We get eight, nine year olds that are like, we've been to a plastic surgeon and ENT three speech pathologists, but do they specialize in diagnosis and treatment and surgical intervention of VPI? Because I we see it all the time, well, the ENT scoped and said it, they, the child was fine. Okay. Well, what did they do with this scope? And, oh, I don't know that they did anything. They just put it in there. And so we want to get these kiddos to the right professional. So with our VPI team, you have speech pathologist myself um, and my colleague Heather. Um, and then we have um, an array of surgeons. So it's mainly Dr. David White, but we have um, our cleft surgeons too, Dr. Patel, Descolo, and Alm that um, help out. And so um And a lot of kind of depends on the age and what the child can tolerate. But we're going to just kind of go through, like, let's say we get a four year old completely verbal need for evaluation. So a child comes in and number one thing, gold standard by far. What do our ears tell us? Do our ears hear nasal ear emissions? Perceptually, are they hypernasal? Are they able to? you know, get correct placement for speech, but they're just hypernasal. nasal. Um, what are we hearing? What do the how does the family perceive the speech and how do does um, the school and the teacher all feel the child is able to communicate or not communicate within the VPI? Um, the next thing that we do is I call it their spaceman hat um, because uh, it looks just like a hat. So you put it on and then. Um, it's a tiny um, it's a microphone, but it's um, it's like in the shape of like a flat battery. So um, and it, well there's a nasal and an oral microphone and they will imitate me and they follow a series of um, uh, of speech norms. That, and so this has been normed by thousands and thousands of kiddos that don't have VPI. So they'll imitate me. They say uh, pa ta and. Um, saw Sha, and then we go through the whole array um and then we have phrases and if they're able to read they'll read a passage but the important thing is that this is normed so it gives us numbers that compares the amount of energy um because again we're measuring resonance which is energy um, in the nose and so it'll give us a, a standardized number to compare against the norm um mm-hmm.
1: okay i I have to interject. I would love it if you could send me a picture of you in the spaceman hat or maybe like a three second clip doing this. That way when we put this out there, people can actually see what that looks like because I am just trying to imagine how scary that would be for like, you know what I mean? But like if there's like a picture and like people will be like, oh, well, there it is. Or, you know, and then that would give, you know... one, first and foremost, comedic awesome points to see yes. Melissa spaceman space man hat. <laughs> and two, um, you know, folks can say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. But um, all right.
0: Absolutely. And you bring up a good point. And one of my favorite things about working with kids is that you don't ever really have to grow up. So, I can, um, <laughs> you know, I tell them I, I put the hat on and I say, you get to wear this cool space man hat. And something very helpful is that when they say words, um, the measurement pops up on the computer so they can see it. So when they say, pop, pa pa," that pops up on the nasometer computer screen. And so I put the hat on first and I say, look at my words. And, and, you know, then I may say, oh, this is going to be so boring. Please don't fall asleep. So they know that it's not going to hurt, that it's super easy. Um, and when they see me doing it, sometimes I'll put it on mom and dad and, um, most of the time it goes well. Sometimes what I'll do is I have, I can detach the hat portion and put a handheld and I'll just hold it under their nose. But most of the time when they see, all they have to do is sit there and say words. It, it, it goes pretty well.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, but okay. I'll send you a clip. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we have to have this. We got, okay. All right. So we do that one. You, do you have to run the scope in? Do you have to pass a scope to look structurally inside? Yeah, so we do.
0: And this is probably... <laughs> The trickiest part, because, you know, I've had this done and what we do is we um, what we try to do first is put some spray in their nose, which is lidocaine and afrin, which, you know, afrin helps clear the way and then lidocaine helps numb it. The problem is, is that some that kind of tastes icky and then sometimes that can kind of get kicked up. And so um, scoping can be a little bit difficult, but I do believe that, we're, you know, we do this every month. Um, And I think that we kind of have, you know, our team is a really good interaction. And, you know, I say, you know, Dr. White did this to me and it kind of tickles. And, you know, we're going to sit still and I'm going to count to three and then a count to three. You're going to say your words and you're going to be all done. And they pick out a prize from the prize box. And, um, you know, most of the time that goes pretty well. But it's, you know, it's not a normal thing for a child to have, you know, have something look in their nose. So it's can be kind of, you know, different to them. But. I personally, I don't like to trick kids. You know, I like to tell them, Hey, this is what's going to happen. It doesn't hurt, but, um, it might tickle a little, a little. And then we just have to watch you say your words. And, uh, you know, I say things to them, like, we're going to look for some butterflies or we're going to look for your, you know, Spider-Man or see if there's any boogies in your nose. And, um, you know, they, they kind of like to be playful with it. But, um, I think that nas endoscopy, with the right, in the right circumstance, um, meaning with a speech pathologist and uh, an experienced um, ENT is critical because if a child is having, you know, phoneme-specific nasal air emissions or they are glottal stopping or they have significant speech deficits, you have to know exactly what to look for on that scope. So... I'm going to give you some examples. So we had kiddo because we get kids all the time that come in from outside um, physicians saying, okay, they need surgery. And we take a look with the scope and we say, no, they are phoneme specific or they have other things going on. So we had a cleft lip and palate kiddo that really was very deceiving. Um, he came in and he was sent to us for surgery. And sure enough, we did nasometry and we looked with a scope and he had phoneme-specific nasal emissions. He was only producing S sounds, S like Sam, with um, nasal turbulent um, air. And so it was very deceiving. But he did not need surgery. And what would have happened with that kiddo is he would have had surgery and sounded exactly the same. And, you know, and so um, we've also had um, kids come in that um, maybe are having you know, have a different diagnosis that, um, say, okay, they have DeGeorge, they're going to need surgery for sure. And, you know, we know that DeGeorge now is a full scale of, um, you know, from very severe to maybe not severe at all. And, and we, we're able to use our perceptual measurements and nasometry and the scoping to evaluate fully. And so what happens with the scope is, you know, We try to do the spray and then we go in and it's I mean, the scope is not much more than a pen tip in size. And, you know, the nasal cavity goes straight back. So we just go straight back. Um, Maybe it's, you know, depending on the kiddo, but it's not far because we're resting in the nasopharynx. We don't have to go all the way down to look at the vocal fold. So we're just resting in the nasopharynx. And then we want the child to say the speech sounds that they have. So ideally we'll get bilabials and Um, some sibilant phonemes. Really, we just need a, a very minimal speech sample. Most of the time they say puppy, puppy, teddy, teddy, cookie, cookie, and then they prolong a sibilant sound like S like Sam. So just have them draw it out. And what we're looking for with the scope is how is their palatal movement, their palate to the posterior pharyngeal wall and how is their lateral pharyngeal wall movement? How do their sidewalls come in? And that way we can make appropriate surgical recommendations.
1: Okay. So that gets me to the, I've had one kid where they did an injection in the posterior pharyngeal wall. Um, they just kind of like built mm-hmm. it up. Um, I can't, yep. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a Botox injection. I don't think it was like. A, no, it
0: was probably, yeah, it was probably an injection of uh, radius
1: yes uh, it's just like a filler material yes okay yeah. so what and i'm familiar with that one i'm familiar with and of course i can't remember the name of it now where they go in and they actually palatical no what is it palatoplasty mm-hmm. thank you yeah. i just say palatoglossal <laughs> but uh, i teach children to eat and drink not to talk um okay Um, what are like, what are the, what's the most common procedure that you guys do and then go down from there? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And so
0: a palatoplasty is something that's done for repair of a cleft palate. So, um, there are different types of closures. And if we see that a child has what we call a straight line closure for their initial cleft palate repair, which is essentially just means that the surgeon went in and kind of, we just like to say, just like zipped it up. So just closed that skin, but did not reorient the muscles. Sometimes we'll recommend a palatoplasty and we'll um, the surgeon will reorient those muscles to work. Um, so they're working um, in conjunction with one another versus just kind of sitting there. Um, and, and we would recommend that surgery if we saw that the anterior posterior, meaning palate to posterior pharyngeal wall. if that closure wasn't ideal. Um, the surgery we do most frequently for VPI is called a sphincter pharyngoplasty. That was the one and I was trying to yeah. say. Yes. Okay. okay. That's the one we do the most. And so that's for somebody, you know, they've had their palate repaired and maybe their lateral pharyngeal walls aren't moving the way that they should. And and we really like the sphincter pharyngoplasty because it creates a more dynamic um, and, um, more anatomically, um, natural, I guess, way of speaking because the, it is a dynamic, it moves, it, 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 looks more natural. And so essentially when you go in and you scope in the nasopharynx and you're just looking down, um, into the VP port, it, you should just see a hole. And then when you say pa, 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 you should see the palate, uh, meet the posterior pharyngeal wall and the lateral pharyngeal walls come in and it should look like a purse string. And so the sphincter pharyngoplasty, it takes that tissue and it just makes that hole a little bit smaller. So it's still there for breathing and it still should function um, um, from a muscular standpoint to where it's a dynamic function. Um, on occasion, and you know, you we talked about the American Cleft Palate Association in our last uh, podcast, um, which is the kind of ASHA of cleft care. But Um, you know, you get people that are very adamant about a certain surgery and I don't think we should necessarily speak in absolutes when we're talking about care of individual people, but, um, some people, and we will on occasion recommend a pharyngeal flap, which is essentially the, the palate just extends further back to the posterior pharyngeal wall. So when you're looking into the nasopharynx, you see a strip of tissue sitting back there, it's not dynamic. Um, sometimes it can cause more sleep apnea than a sphincter pharyngoplasty? Well, the data is, you know, it's kind of mixed. You know, at one point it was saying a sphincter pharyngoplasty is better for sleep apnea. And, you know, I think it's really surgeon dependent too. So the reason I don't love a a flap is because I do think I see more obstruction just in my clinical practice. Um, And it's just not dynamic and and it doesn't do anything to address the lateral pharyngeal walls. Um, and oh yeah, the injection. So sometimes we'll recommend an injection if we have like a a tiny little gap. So we see them saying puppy, 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 and there's just a little tiny gap and you see air shooting through and you can hear it, but it's just not, um, a big enough problem to warrant a major surgery.
1: So that my question is how long does that particular procedure stay? Like, I mean, if they go in to do like, will the body absorb that material over time? And we're just assuming that the child will learn how to do the, you know, physiologic compensation in the, in the, you know, years in between. Right. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Um, the answer is kind of, so the different people inject different things at one point, everybody was doing fat injections and we, you know, now some, a lot of people have moved away from that because it does reabsorb more quickly. Um, in theory, it should be there for the long haul, but, you know, sometimes the body does reabsorb it and, and a few years later, if they have not learned um if they've not, aren't able to achieve closure, we will have to repeat the injection.
1: Okay. That's, that makes me think of the Nissan in theory. And yeah. Nissen duplication yeah. is permanent, but then. We exactly. Have to when you vomit through it, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Theory me yeah. versus when, you know, the rubber hits the road kind of thing. Right.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, and one um, thing that I, I wanted to touch on that I think is super important because you see so much in, um, in these 22Q kids, the DeGeorge kids, um, that you know the glottal stopping, so one of the biggest, I guess, um, problems we see is, so when you glottal stop, when you say things like uh or for puppy or uh-ee for cookie, what you do is you're bypassing your velopharyngeal mechanism. So these kids can get really tricky to evaluate. And because what we don't know is, is that an anatomical problem Or did they truly uh, just mislearn how to speak and they're not engaging their palate? And, you know, if you do surgery on a kiddo like that, they're gonna sound exactly the same after. So, you know, when you're talking in terms of scope, you really, really have to know what you're doing with your speech sample. Um, And another, I think another thing that we kind of see out there, a lot of the times we'll get kiddos referred to us that, aren't talking yet, or they say, oh, they're not talking because they have uh, VPI. Well, in order to really evaluate a child, they have to have some attempts at speech. We can't evaluate otherwise. So um, we had a kiddo come to us. It was like a seven-year-old Down's kid once and nonverbal. So we can't really do anything with that because there's no way to measure or, you know, see how they're engaging their palate.
1: Okay, so I get them... I feel like I'm, I'm on the in-between segment for y'all. Like I get the kids after they've gone out of the NICU um, or they've been discharged home and, you know, lactations worked with them, but they have difficulty latching and there's a lactation consultant in town and she regularly sends me referrals. And if I get the referral, every single kid I've ever had that was a referral was laryngomalasia or trachomalasia baseline from her, which is very interesting. Um, And then my other thought is on that. Like I've gotten the kids that, you know, they have a hard time creating a competent suck at breast. Like they're just, mm-hmm. I do not believe there's such a thing as a swallow fatigue. I don't think that we fatigue our larynx in isolation. I think it's a full body fatigue. Oh, yeah. So these kids are having difficulty timing, respiration, deglutition, and that suck right. smaller pattern. But I mean, we've had it where You know, they just can't get that good seal. They can't get that good elevation. So I feel like that's when in my world, my gut is, I don't always think BPI read out the gate there. My first thought is, okay, I've got to get this kid to the ENT to figure out, you know, the airport. And again, I'm always chasing laryngomalacia Malaysia, trigo malaysia. But these kids, I mean, he's gone in and found the sub-mucus. like i missed it clears day there's the little <laughs> blue dot that you talked about and i i had totally missed it and then afterwards i'm like god i'm an idiot but like when at that stage of the game and we know that it's vpi early on and you know it'll impact their suck swallow cycle then when should we send to the specialist to get the speech component addressed or to actually look at the procedures like What's my timeline, baby?
0: Absolutely. So it kind of depends, again, on the, um, you know, the origin of what. So if it's a submucous cleft palate, we treat that just like a palate. So nine months, um, because if they're symptomatic, so I just read a study the other day that said approximately half of kids with a submucous won't be symptomatic. Um, But if yeah um I actually had a kiddo that I was treating his articulation, uh, and I looked in his mouth and I said, he has a submucous cleft palate, and he does, but he <laughs> his resonance is <was> fine <laughs> um and he was like, yeah. twelve, but anyway, side note so um you know we, we squirrel. Treat, yeah squirrel <laughs> if um you know if a child's having feeding difficulty, that is a symptom of the cleft palate, so we will repair that at nine months if the child's gaining weight and all that um. We don't usually do surgery, you know, so say that it is um, a non, uh, a child that does not have a submucous class, say that it's a VPI. So of a different origin, we will usually do surgery starting around three, assuming that we can evaluate them properly. Um, Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point with the um, the babies that, you know, there's a lot of comorbidities. Maybe it was um, the trachea Maybe it was the laryngomalacia. What is causing this child to have feeding problems? And maybe it's a combination of all
1: of it. Well, I mean, if they need me, tends to be a combination. (laughs) (laughs) A
0: combination of everything.
1: Okay. All right, well, I just looked at the clock and oh, yeah. um, we are like, <laughs> you, you and I can do this all day long. All Fred. day, yeah. Um, although next time we're doing this over adult beverages, just yeah. saying. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, so um, we are like seriously almost out of time. Okay. Um, but um, before we switch over to questions, just a friendly reminder that if any of y'all out there in podcast land are headed to ASHA next month, um, be sure to stop by speechtherapypd.com booth and come say hi. Um, I'd love to meet you in person and chat about what topics you'd like to hear in future, um, podcast, pod course interviews. Um, and, um, Melissa round of applause as I'm clapping my coffee cup. Of course, um, anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. Um, I'm, Thank you, Michelle. Yay. Same for you.
0: Same with you. Um, I can
1: honestly say the Palmetto State is better for having you. And, um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I just, you know, it's a bit of sass, a little bit of God. Actually, a lot of God, mm-hmm. a little bit of sass. Um, okay. So, um, all right. If you'll uh, um, hold on real quick, um, and we're going to make a switch over to questions. Okay? All right. Hold on one minute. Feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.